Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Um, just to let you know, I, I know, thank you for being here. I know it's just kind of a rainy, cold, yucky day. Uh, and I know those are days that are real tempting just to kind of roll back over to side B, right? Just, just to stay where you were in the morning, warm and comfortable. Uh, but thank you so much for being here. When we miss um, this time together, uh, we really do miss so much. We miss a chance to worship together as a family. We miss seeing other faces that just care about you and love you and um, just hearing the word together. So it's always great to be here on Sunday morning. Uh, in our first service this morning, we had a great crowd, uh, and we uh, presented Devin and Derek Williams as uh, members of the church. Uh, their family mainly comes to the 9 o'clock service, but as you kind of encounter them and meet them, um, feel free to introduce yourself and, and make those connections. Also, we prayed with a family uh, who is going this afternoon, uh, just really feeling led strongly to um, just continue to and be an intentional way today to share Christ with um, their mom. Uh, so we just had a chance to pray with them because uh, they said there's a lot of fear in that relationship. They don't want to they don't want to. They don't want to lose that relationship. They don't want a broken relationship. Uh, but they just sense this real um, strong urging of the Holy Spirit just to really share Christ in an intentional way uh, through what their mom has watched them go through. Uh, so it's 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 going to be a, a way where God really uses their story today. We pray. Uh, so if you will just continue to pray for that family uh, as you think about them maybe this afternoon. Uh, we're going to be back in the Book of John today. Uh, we're going to. Um, I just want to kind of let you know over the next few weeks we're going to do a little bit of a a little bit of a two step through. Uh, a few chapters in John. Uh, chapter 5, we're going to pick back up in today. Um, but while we're in chapter 5 today, we're going we're gonna to only do part of it. Uh, in verse, I believe it's 20, yeah, verse 24, um, that verse and down, we're going to actually um, come back to that and more intentionally next week. Um, there's, some, there's some wording specifically from Jesus in this section that really talks about uh, this power over life and death that he has. He connects really in a, in, a, in a way that we probably don't teach and preach and think through it often. Um, it, there's, a, there's a really significant sign out of this that we see when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Um, and, and next week we just want to touch on even just, you know, wh- what happens when we die? Where do we go when we die? Um, many of you may have kids and you may have grandkids or friends of yours. We, we all go through seasons of loss in our life. And, and we just want to be um, really sound biblically with, with what happens during that season and what really goes on because um, Jesus, even out of his own words, um, he knew that that time in life would be scary and be hurtful to us. So he specifically said some things for us to have hope. Uh, so we're going to highlight some of that stuff next week. We're also going to touch on some stuff out of chapter 6 this week that we'll, uh, I'll, we'll, we'll look at a little bit differently in some weeks to come. But we're going we're gonna to jump back in with where we were um, coming out of last week's conversation, we, we ended last week um, where Jesus had healed two people. He, he did some really good stuff, but in, in doing even good things, uh, the amazing happened. People got mad at him. They got frustrated. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever experienced that in life. You, you've, you've really tried to help someone. You've really tried to do something positive, and they still get mad at you. And it, and it seems so odd. It doesn't make sense. Like if, if I was really trying and I really cared and I really loved you and I really wanted to do something, why are you getting so angry? It's the symptom of every uh, teenager between 13 and 17. It's a disease that they have. It's this, it's this kind of irrational anger, it seems. But, but it, it comes out very strongly. Uh, and, and Jesus dealt with this. When you're at work or when you're with friends and you're trying to help someone, genuinely help someone, and they just get frustrated with you and even angry, um, you, you know a little bit, and, and in part, what Jesus even experienced here on earth. Um, and he also understands you very intimately. Uh, in fact, it says it very plainly in verse 16, Therefore the Jews began persecuting Jesus 
because he was doing these things specifically on the Sabbath. He was doing it on a, on a day that they didn't think you should do anything. The great thing is, even when people were frustrated and hurt with Jesus, he always responded perfectly. Now, I don't know about you, I don't tend to have perfect responses. Often. Maybe ever. In fact, this morning, I was on my way to church. I knew that I needed gas before I could get to church. And I unfortunately left that to Sunday morning to take care of. Because if you're like me, anything you attempt on Sunday morning tends to fall apart. Right? Stop at the gas station. Brand new pumps that they had to reset four times and still would not give me gas. I was confused. Why were you being so selfish with this gas that is inside of you? Why, why are you not giving it to me now? And, I, and I'll be honest with you, I really didn't feel like I was getting a lot of support, care, and nurturing from the attendants that were resetting these pumps. I may have yelled a couple of things that I may need to apologize for later. I'm not sure. We're going to review the video footage. <laughs> Jesus responded to them, My father is still working, and I am working also. Why is it so significant that Jesus responded this way? Um, God made the Sabbath. In fact, when he gave the Sabbath to, to people, he gave it to us not just to stop doing everything, but to rest the right way. Uh, the gospel doesn't always preach work harder. Uh, it preaches rest better. When God gave us the Sabbath, he showed us himself how he viewed it. There was a rhythm in creation, if you read Genesis. And God said, let there be, boom. And it was, then he evaluated it. It was good. Um, after he evaluated it, he saw the goodness in it. He got to the end of it, finished six days. What does it say? God rested from his work. I mean, he, he was actively creating. It was the voice of God. It was the power of God actively creating. And he, he truly stopped. But then sin happened. Adam and Eve sinned, and sin fractured the relationship and broke apart the relationship between humans and God. And ever since then, even on the Sabbath, God has been working. And Jesus, because he said that I'm God, not me because I'm pointing to me, but Jesus said that about himself, he's active, he's working. That's why many times on the Sabbath, he does something for someone in a physical, tangible way so that they can learn the greater spiritual truth. Remember in John, we see all the time that that's what these signs are for. In John chapter 20, remember we read that verse at the very beginning of the series where we said, um, through the inspiration of God, John wrote that, that I have written these things so that you may believe in Jesus and that you can live a life in him. We see some things. That's how God teaches us. He shows us some things and we take those things and we look at our life and he shows us the greater spiritual truth. Jesus says, yes, I healed on the Sabbath. Because I'm constantly working to redeem to me what was perfect when I rested last. But because sin has messed it up, God's plan is still to love us and redeem us. And he wants to take us to that same reality. He's still working. And he tells them that. He owns up to it. He said, yep, I sure did it. And, and why did he heal the guy? Remember, we, we read this last week. He, he said, I didn't heal you so that you would just be healthy. He said, I healed you so that you could go and live your life holy for God. What he does physically is a sign to us for what he wants to do spiritually. Uh, think about the, the woman at the well that we read about as well in John, the, the Samaritan woman. He saw a woman that was broken, that needed help, that was looking for love, and was looking for acceptance. 
and he started talking to her in a, in a, in a racially um, divided atmosphere. He crossed that racial divide to have a conversation with her, to, to, to kind of communi- to start to communicate in a tangible way that, that someone who should not be loving you, who's not a predictable person to love you, is loving you because you know you need love, and Jesus was aware of that, and he was ready to give it to her, but in a complete way. So, he continues to respond. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. You know, there's some things that Jesus said here on earth that really help us. Not just functionally help us, like here's how we know we need to live. Jesus made some statements that we can not just believe in, but we can really read and say, Jesus, thank you for simplifying this argument. Jesus made such strong statements while here on earth that that he did not create a way to just casually believe in him. Because we can't take Jesus and, and absorb his good moral teaching if we don't believe that he's God. Because if you claim that you're God, then, then clearly you're a lunatic. And if you're a lunatic over that, then you, you probably are wrong on most of the other things you're saying. And, and the validity of anything you say is at best questionable. So Jesus said, look, I will step directly into the conversation. And I'll clarify all this. I will tell you right now that the Father, God, and me, same person. God didn't send a patsy to pay for sin, to, 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 to die a horrible death. He sent himself. And Jesus says this clearly. And, and I, want you to, I want you to listen to how he really makes the statement. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything that he's doing, And he will show him greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. And just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom he wants. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. This is how Jesus broke it down for him. He said, yes, you're absolutely right. I'm saying that God and I are the same person. And here's how he frames it in a context that we can really understand and appreciate. First of all, he says, whatever, he said, I'm only doing what the Father is already doing. So in other words, when we see Jesus having a conversation, let's pick back up the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Jesus didn't start the conversation fresh as if nothing was already going on in her life. When he saw this woman, he could recognize that God was already working things in her life to reach her. So Jesus just simply continued in the conversation. So what does that mean for us? When we, as Christians, realize that the the call on our life is to live like Christ, then that means that when we hear him say something, when we see evidence that God is working, that's that flashing sign to say, hey, go get involved. Live like Jesus. Do what you already see God doing. And trust that that we don't start something on our own. Uh, The family that we prayed for this morning, that are getting ready to go have a very intentional conversation with a loved one about Christ. 
Why do we stop and pray over that? Because we want to get involved with what God's already doing. He's already put it in their heart. But that conversation that they're going to have today is not the beginning of the conversation. They're coming into what God, I know, is already doing in her life. It doesn't always mean that everybody's responsive. People got mad at Jesus for healing someone on the Sabbath day. Right? Only church people could gripe about someone who can't walk walking just because it's the day that they don't think they ought to start walking on. That's only something that we can do. But this is who Jesus is. He says that I'm, I'm, I'm doing what the Father's already doing. He points out this idea that, that there is love between the Father and Him because that is who God is. The Bible's very clear that God is love. He also says this, that um, for the Father... Um, it says, for the Father loves the Son and shows him everything that he's doing, and he will show him greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. He says, it's not just me working, it's not just God working, but we're going to show you something. It's not always that every sign is crystal clear in our lives, but we can have the assurance that when God is doing something, there will be evidence. Now, you may get frustrated like I do sometimes about trying to figure out how to interpret that evidence. But it is there. It is there. Then he makes this statement, which seems, this probably really infuriated the crowd. He said this, that God the Father had passed on the authority to judge, the authority to handle sin to his son. I mean, not only is he saying that we're, we're in agreement with each other, we're in rhythm with each other, he's actually saying now God has shifted authority. Like he carries something on behalf of God. I mean, the people here are absolutely furious. But I'm so thankful he said this. Because if Jesus didn't say this, I may see one of his teachings or I may hear this really this clear message of love and hope and I may want that. But I may get shaky on who's really offering it to me. But when I see that Jesus died for sin, when I see that, that Jesus says that he's not going to leave me alone, then for him to leave me alone would have to be God lying. And if I believe that God is truth, then I, I have to rely on that. And when days when I struggle relying on it, the truth of just its reality and that I need to, at least is what calls me to lean in. Now, we're going to skip over a little bit of this passage that's coming next, and I really am excited about us being able to cover this stuff in coming weeks, but, um, but, I, but I do want us to look ahead now because Jesus, in, in, in chapter 6, what we have is Jesus doing these two signs in a row. Now, remember, the argument is heated. The line has been drawn. Um, it, it's clearly been said that Jesus is doing what God's already doing, um, that he's showing us things for us to learn lessons and really understand who he is. So immediately he's going into this next lesson learning, lesson teaching moment. Um, and these are very common stories. You've heard these probably taught a lot and, and, and told a lot. But I want you to listen this morning for really what the truth of what God's showing us. Um, in chapter 6, after this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. Um, a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Remember, we talked about sign seekers versus savior seekers. You got a little bit of both in the crowd. Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. 
So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew that he was going what he was going to do. Do you ever ask people something? And you already know the answer, but you just ask them to kind of check where they're at. Maybe you've done this with your kids. Maybe you gave them a curfew and said, now, what time are you going to be home? And, and it's just a test. You know what time you're going to call the police on them. <laughs> but you just need to know if they know the time that you're going to call the police on them. My son, my oldest son has his learner's permit now. <laughs> so we were driving the other day, and I asked him a really important question. Hey, son, did you see that mailbox? Because I almost checked the mail with my teeth. <laughs> I was pretty sure that he didn't, because when I was, when I was inside reading their power bill, I looked at him, and I, he was checking his speed. He was doing something right. I just needed to know, and I needed him to know that he may, not have, he may have just missed that mailbox. Y'all pray for my kids, because I tell stuff on my kids all the time, and they walk through here, and y'all are like, <laughs> and they're like, oh, damn it. I, I, I felt like I knew the answer, but I, I needed to kind of check him, right? Well, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. So what's the purpose of a test? The purpose of the test is the same with Jesus as it is when you and I were in school. You sit through class and you learn some things. You're taught some stuff. Maybe you didn't listen. I didn't always. But someone was there and they were actively teaching. You also, most of the time, had a period of time that you could study. Again, not judging who did and who didn't. But we had that time. Because there was going to be a moment where we had an opportunity to show and apply that we had learned from that knowledge. And that's what Jesus does when he tests, when he tested Philip right here. Philip had been with him. He had seen these signs, these miracles. He had seen that Jesus could do stuff that no one else could do. That there was a lesson to be learned. Even if he couldn't predict what he was going to do, he knew that every time they were in a situation that seemed like they couldn't handle it, some valuable lesson that was so necessary was communicated to him. So Jesus asked him, what are we going to do? Because he wanted to see, have you, have you grasped the details? Hopefully, maybe Philip would have said, Jesus, I don't know. What are we going to do? That would have been a phenomenal response. Think about it. I don't know. I'm still learning. But I'm learning from you. What are we going to do? I mean, that says a lot about where his receptivity was. Maybe you are looking at your life and you don't know what you're getting ready to do. You just know who to go to. God, I don't know the answer. I can't figure it out. What do I do? How do I even think about this, God? Just knowing enough to know that I don't know how to think about every situation. That, that's, that's huge. That's incredible. Because this environment, this Passover, this, this celebration that God takes care of his children. I don't know if you know much about the Passover, but it was this, it was this time where the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. And the, one of the, the plagues were going on. God was showing his power. He was actually um, reversing and unraveling creation to these Egyptians so that they would know that he was God. And, and at the end, he was going to send this angel of death and, and young kids' lives were going to be lost. But the children of Israel 
were given a message. If you will take a pure lamb's blood and put it over your door, then you will be passed by. It was, it was a forecasting of, of salvation in the cross. That, that though you didn't deserve it, you look like everybody else around you. It's this blood that covers you. And that's the gospel of Jesus. It was God working on every day, even back then, to show people that he was after them. He was trying to restore them. So in this, in this environment, Jesus is still teaching. Philip answered him. So here's Philip's chance, right? 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. Basically, this is his statement. If I took the money I made Jesus from about two-thirds of my year working and just bought bread, just loaves of it, and had it out here, this is only going to be a snack. Why is that the case? Um, one of the disciples answered, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. If you add in women and children, we don't know what the number could be. A lot of people just kind of round it to 20,000. So we'll just kind of consider that in our minds. That's why he didn't think he could spend two-thirds of his income from a year and still get enough for everybody. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also with the fish, as much as they wanted, when they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Remember last week when he did this bob and weave, the dodge the people that you don't want to talk to at the grocery store move that he initiated for us as Christians? Yes, Jesus does it one more time. He is in a key situation, and because he sees that people aren't getting it the right way, he doesn't stay and let them get out of hand. He actually just pulls the disappearing act again. Now, what situation were they supposed to get? Think about it. As these people were, were moving and following Jesus, they followed him to the place that he had already withdrawn his disciples to. Now think about this from a strategic point. They felt like they were just, they were just trying to catch up with him, just try to get to where he was. Jesus saw it differently. He was taking them somewhere. He already knew that they were coming. He just led them to the right spot. What did they sit on? Did you catch it? There was plenty of what? Grass. There was a comfortable place for them to sit down. You ever, you ever found yourself in the middle of something in life and you became really aware that God had done something in you ahead of time and you did not even realize it? It may have just been that you, you had a conversation with somebody and every day in any other moment for the rest of your life, you would have blown up on them. But God did something in your heart that morning. Maybe it was a verse that you read or it was something. And just at that moment, you had grace on the tip of your tongue instead of venom. And you realize, whoa, God did that. He led me to that moment. 
I didn't know that they were going through what they were going through, but they were, and I didn't realize it, but he just, he let me be there. He just did something for you. Now, for some of us, we go, man, it just, everything feels like a test. These kids, this job, these bills, everything's just a test. It's all a test. But we look at it and say, God was leading them there. Now, when he led them there, he also led them to a place that would have a boy, and he had a little bit to start with. Jesus takes it. He just says the blessing. Now, the blessing is an interesting thing. Uh, I joke about it sometimes, but it's funny to me. It's really hilarious when we sit down as Christians and we bless horribly unhealthy food. As if we're saying, hey, God, remember that water and the wine? Well, this, you know, seven pounds of fried chicken and seasoned fries from Bojangles, I would like for you to bless this. Because if you don't, I know what my digestive system is going to do with it, and that's horrific, Right? But he blesses it and he starts to break it apart. Now, did everybody just get a snack? No. He told the disciples after everyone had gotten full to take up the baskets. After everybody had gotten full. It is never God's intention for you and I to run through life on a half of a tank. What God can give to us and how he can resource our lives will fill us. We can run. We can literally run as Christians through life on a full tank of resource, emotion, of, of all those thoughts, everything. And if we stay and, and, and eat, Jesus promises us it will fill us. But now, if we don't stay, if we don't sit down, if we don't answer that invitation... Then, then if I run through life empty, that's on me. That's not on God. I can't blame him for that. Because what he was there to do was to give and to feel. Now, what does he do after that? It's so funny. Because meals like this are, are, are absolutely hilarious. He, he sends his disciples out. Um, this, this, is, this is their version of the covered dish meal. Did you ever have that? Growing up in church, like everybody brings food that they prepared that morning or the night before. And, and everybody, in theory, loves them, but nobody ever really starts to think, hey, we're basically consuming uh, half a pound of mayonnaise-based foods at room temperature. Um, something could be growing in a deviled egg. We don't know, right? Now, when, when I was, um, the church that I was at before I was here, I was on staff there. Before I was on staff, um, the first kind of tangible title that I was given in the church and asked to serve um, outside of like ushering and, and teaching some things and everything, I was asked to be a trustee. Now, I don't know why they made me a trustee. My assumption is, is basically they couldn't find anybody else to do it because I was young and I probably wasn't even taking well care of even my stuff. I was probably not qualified to take care of the church building, right? But, but as a trustee, they did this amazing thing. They set up for all of the church meals. And they also, because they were there to serve everyone, stayed out of the service and ate before everybody else got in there. Like, I actually got all the good food at the proper temperature. It was phenomenal. And after that, I became, and after being a trustee and a deacon and, and a youth pastor and all staff and everything, when you're, at that kind of, when you're in that kind of environment, you become a covered dish ninja. Like, you can properly evaluate the meal, how it's going, what's running out. Um, you can predict from the get-go there's no need for even me to get in the line. I'm not going to get a good plate of food, right? I just got to go ahead and set my mind. I got to go somewhere else. Or you do the best thing, the wisest thing. When you're on staff at the church, you kind of carry this expectation that you're going to move around and talk to people. 
So you just go by the dessert table because there's really only about two or three solid desserts on any church dessert table. Everything else is just super generic quick mix, right? So you go to the really good stuff, you create like a sample plate, right? Because you're talking to different people, nobody's seeing you really consume all of it at one time. You're just tasting. So then you go around and talk to everybody because you realize I can't get a deviled egg or a chicken breast. And I don't, I just, you know, you, you choose like me. I just, unless I have to, I'm just not going to eat a thigh, okay? So you, you just learn to navigate the church meal. These, these disciples are, are, are being led through the navigation of the church meal. Jesus sends them out. He says, listen, now go, everybody's full. I, I've, I've shown in a tangible way that I can feed you to help you start to understand in a spiritual way, I can feed you spiritually. The things your soul craves, I can nourish you with. He sends them. He says, now, go and get the leftovers. Now, I think this is for a few reasons. One, I think the disciples needed the muscle work. They needed to feel the weight of a basket full of leftovers. Because there was 12 baskets. Not ironic. Not, not an accident. It, it, there's, there's one for each. So they feel the muscle, they feel the weight of this evidence that Jesus will nourish, that Jesus will take care of. And in feeling this weight, they walk back with leftovers because nothing was meant to be wasted. What Jesus is doing with you is not his, his leftovers. He doesn't let anything get wasted. He doesn't leave scraps for the humble and the weak and the immature to come by and pick up. He feeds everybody firsts. And he doesn't let the others go to waste. He doesn't do things to where they're confused and they're not as good. He's always giving the best. So he collects all that. And after he collected it, everybody was amazed. They experienced another sign, another miracle, more evidence of really who Jesus was and the power of who he was. So they wanted to take him, whether he wanted to be or not, by force to be their king. Now the Jews were looking for somebody to change their life politically, economically, socially. They wanted to be the prominent force, period. I mean, think about this. you got a guy who can change water into wine. He can heal 38-year-old diseases. He can bring food where there is no food. You, you have eliminated poverty, hunger. You've eliminated all your social needs, all your welfare needs. And you have somebody that can physically change anything. He can, he can do anything he wants to do. He can do the miraculous. So think about it. You go to, like it, put it in our terms, you go to some kind of economic summit. Well, we as Americans, you know what? We're tired of paying whatever for gas. We want to pay 25 cents a gallon. Let's send King Jesus in. He goes in there, hey, listen, uh, we're going to start buying these barrels of uh, crude oil for, um, I don't know, a buck a piece. Well, that's unacceptable. Oh, really? Pow! You have no more lips. What are you going to say now to that request? <laughs> I think you're going to say, we'll sell it to you for whatever you want. Or, right? That's, I mean, yes, be king. But boom, he's out. He's out. Why is he out? Because he did not want to be king on their terms. That's not who Jesus is. And if you've ever lived your life in a way that I've lived my life, you've figured out that Jesus doesn't operate on your terms. He doesn't just do the things that you want him to do. And I'm okay with that. 
the longer I live, the more okay I get with that. Because if Jesus operates on my terms, then that means that Jesus is as weak as me. And I don't want to serve that kind of Jesus. Jesus, as creator God, already is king. They couldn't make him something he already is. He just needed them to know the correct version of king that he was. In salvation, we're called to confess Jesus as Lord. That doesn't mean that I make him Lord of my life. I simply acknowledge who he is and say, yes, I agree as well. So this is what they want to do. So he steps out. He, he makes a move. He pulls the getaway. Now, just to clarify, what does it look like when Jesus is maybe a king that we're not, um, that's not by our design? We have a, a short version of Jesus walking on water here in John chapter 6. Uh, you get the version that includes Peter and Matthew, um, and it's also recorded in Mark. But now John, remember, is about painting the correct portrait of Jesus so that we can believe in him and that we can live a life for him. So when we get this uh, in, a, in a time frame, uh, John even already knew that it was recorded with Peter because uh, Matthew had already been written. So as, as, as we're looking in here, we get really the nuts and bolts of this to where we just see this really accurate, um, correct view of Jesus. Now, listen, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea at Caper to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind arose, and the sea began to churn. Churn means to turn over. This isn't rocking waves. This is water that literally um, as it crests, it does a full roll and crashes down and then pulls under itself. That's a churn. So that's what the water's doing. Um, and this is what they're rowing in. It says, um, after they had rowed about three or four miles, three or four miles in that kind of condition. I don't know if you've ever rowed a boat, but it doesn't go like row, row, row your boat. This is, in, in any kind of rough water, it's hard. In this kind of rough water, uh, it's virtually impossible, it would seem. After they had rowed three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him on board. And at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. Now, so what does it mean for Jesus to be king, but not necessarily the king that we would want? If I'm on that boat, Here's my preference. Um, I'm not saying that I don't think the storm is um, possible or even reasonable in life. I'd rather not be in a storm. We can all agree on that probably. Rather have an easy life. But I would agree that storms happen. But if I'm on that boat, what kind of king do I want? I want one right there beside me. If I'm scared, and if I think of my role as a son of the king, then I want to be able to be so close I can hold the king's hand. So I want my fear dealt with ahead of time. And, if I'm honest, I don't want to work that hard. If Jesus, you can take me on a cross, and you have that power, then take me on a cross. Please don't make me go through this horrible, awful physical labor to get to that point for you then to show up. That's what happens when Jesus is king on my terms. 
what happens when Jesus is king on his terms? The storms of life do happen. We all acknowledge that. But he also, again, he's always doing something to teach something. What's the, what's the physical sign and then the spiritual truth? Physical sign, number one, Jesus walks on top of what scares us. Okay, I can make that spiritual connection, Jesus. What scares me, you just look at and go, hmm, that would be interesting to step on. So that's your level of power over what even scares me. Okay, I can learn that. What else? Well, that Jesus is on time, and sometimes that may mean I feel like he's late. But in him coming to the boat when he did, he got there on time. What does on time mean? It means that they had done about all they could do physically. Because they were guys, and we know it if you read the Gospels, these disciples are guys that put their physical effort forward very quickly, very often. Often before trusting in what Jesus can do. So Jesus knew, i got to let these guys wear themselves out so that they realize that they need to depend and they need to listen to me. Now that may not be your crux. That may not be your issue. It's been my issue in life. Jesus has let me exhaust myself so that I'm able to appreciate even just the beginning of what he can do. And on time doesn't mean that he's not still powerful enough to do all that I wanted. It just may not be through his wisdom what he knows I need and what will give him the credit and the attention for being king and savior on his terms that I need to acknowledge. The crazy thing is, it says, and they were then willing to allow him to get on board. Um... The life that we live for Jesus sometimes could probably be described as an acquired taste. Acquired taste for me, I think about green peas. I hated them as a kid. But I like them now. That may have happened, the switch may have happened for me when I started to have to pay for my own food. I don't know. (laughs) I didn't appreciate when meals were bought for me. Maybe it's because I realized what Vegetables do actually for your body, and I'm more okay with that now than I was when I was younger. But I had to get used to the taste. And it's amazing, when you get used to something, how much you can start to like it. Even when at first, it just doesn't seem exactly what you wanted. See, this is what Jesus says right here. If When you look ahead, when he's actually going back and explaining about the food, later in this chapter, he says this, Jesus answered, truly I tell you, Uh, You're looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. There is work to do. There is work to do in our relationship with God. There's time that I need to spend with him. There's um, effort I need to put in his word. I need to follow the difficult things that Jesus says. And and, and there is work for me to do. Jesus says, listen, it's, it's much more valuable for you to chase the things that ultimately won't satisfy you 
You can let those go. Don't put your effort in all that stuff. Put your effort into, into, into positioning yourself to be able to receive what God wants to give. And you say, hang on a second. Well, if you're willing to give it, well, then just give it to me. But see, that's the thing about us. God doesn't force feed us. But the gospel and following him is an acquired taste. When we taste and see that the Lord is good, then, then our appetite changes. The things that we thought were meant to satisfy us no longer do. And just getting something from God does something in us that, that will sustain us for much longer than what we ever thought. Um, today, I'm going to be doing a, a small family funeral service for a lady that me and Wendy have been very blessed to know over the last about 10 years. Um, she passed away um, about a week and a half ago. And actually, she brought about three weeks ago her, her son's um, girlfriend here to church and, and she received Christ that, sun, that Sunday and she got saved. And I'm so happy to do her service today because, um, man, just getting to know her even in the last few months, um, I found such joy in her just being able to go to heaven um, and just be at peace. Uh, because what her life has been like over the years has been so difficult. So I'm so excited. But I really wish you could have gotten to know her. Um, she was um, just honest to the point of it would be, it was hilarious. Um, she was uh, so loving to her grandkids that she would ask us to help with. Um, and she just, she, she did things that just made you laugh. So um, she had this little dog that she named Mama. Now, most of the time, you don't name your pets after your parents, but, but she, she named her dog Mama. And one day, um, Mama went out to the woods and ate uh, at least part of her a whole frog. If you've ever had a dog that's ate a frog, you know that their mouths start to foam. Well, Mary calls 911 and says, you got to come quick, Mama's foaming at the mouth. And, and this is just who she was, and, and she lived really far off of 150. In fact, like, it was, it was so far that, like, when, when things happen, and, and please understand me, I'm not trying to be, make, um, be light about a serious situation, but, like, if she ever caught, made a call like that, and a, and a fire truck got all the way back to her house, I loved it because a fire truck is way bigger than my car, and a fire truck would just knock down all the limbs and trees and everything that just drug across your car when you went back to visit her. So like a fire truck gets back there, and they got to be getting beat up by limbs and everything, but they get all the way back there, and they are searching through her house. They are tearing doors down. They are looking everywhere, and they come at that, we cannot find your mother. Where is she? And she's like, my mother? She said, my mother's dead. So then they're looking for a body. Like, they're everywhere. They're like, we can't, we can't see. Like, where is she? I mean, you got to think about it. You are like way off in the woods now talking to a lady, and all of a sudden this woman went from foaming at the mouth. Now, she's gone. If it was me, I'd be like, fellas, I'm going to be in the truck. Y'all just let me know how this one goes. Finally, she's like, I don't understand. They said, we cannot find your mother. She said, I don't need you to find my mother. I need you to help my dog. They're like, your dog? Yeah, this is my dog, Mama. And, and, and she's sick. I don't know what's going on with her. So they just start laughing like crazy because of just the, the comedy of wires crossing, being on two different pages. 
And she was frustrated because she was like, why aren't you going to help? Right? And that's a really funny situation. And she told a story. I could not help but laugh. But even if, as I was thinking about her service today and I was reading this, I thought, you know, it, it's not comical, but, but in a very real way, um, I have expectations sometimes that I just want God just to do. And the thing is, he's operating on a set of rules and understanding and vision and, and, and knowledge and power that, that I want, but we're just on two different wavelengths. What he's here to do is not what I'm really asking for. I just know that I need help. And in this story, and when we think about, well, what do we take? Like, what do we take from this as we leave, as we go home, and as we try to do something with it? Well, hopefully we take a lot. Number one, we rest in this knowledge and this idea that Jesus made no question marks. He left no room for doubt that if we believe in him, we got to go all in. We have to believe it all. We can't just believe that he will be here as my friend. I got to believe that he is God. So if he speaks and he tells me to not do something or he tells me to do something, that it's the very word of God that I am called to obey. I can't just call him my friend and, 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 and just try to pass on the play of obedience. And when it comes to living for him, to know that that's the Jesus, that's the God that we serve, that kingship is on his terms. That to be fed by him, I got to sit down. I got to sit where he tells me to sit. And realize that when I sit down, I need to look around me because I'm probably somewhere that he's been leading me all along. I've just been unaware. And appreciate that. And realize that what he can feed me, it may seem like an acquired taste at first. Obedience may not be easy at first. Hearing his voice may not be easy at first. But when I taste it, and I realize how it nourishes and how good it is, then my appetite, part of growing spiritually, is going to change. And as I grow spiritually, and I, and I get to that point, and I start to take Jesus in, and his word in, and his truth in, that my expectations of him will all of a sudden start to change. I'll start to appreciate that he's on time. And I'll start to realize that my impatience is on me, not on him. And that I can grow through that. And sometimes I'll become aware that I just, I may need to exhaust myself to get my pride out of the way so that he can really speak. And wherever you are in life, whether you need something, whether you feel tired, whether you just really wonder if, if God is really speaking to you, no matter where you're at, um, God even said himself, Jesus said himself, he said, we, we, we gave you Sabbath to know that we'll take care of you, but we're always at work. We're not stopping. So he's not, he's not stopping on you. Um, which means he has something for you right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a second? Uh, when we transition to this part of the service, we'd like to open it up for you to be able to pray um, and be prayed with if you like. We do believe that salvation is through Jesus and Jesus alone, as he said. Um, receiving Jesus as Savior. Just like the disciples became ready, they heard the word of Jesus and they responded to it. He said, don't be afraid, because that's what they needed to hear. Salvation, that first message is, is that I love you. 
that I have paid the sin price for you and that I am here to forgive you. And hearing it's great. But believing it means that we become in agreement that Jesus is King and He is Lord. And He is that for us on His terms only. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to be saved. We don't want you to leave here with questions, wondering, curious. Where do I stand with God? God's Word's clear and you can know. And we want you to live in that. Whether you talk to me or someone about that during this time or after the service, please don't continue to let that be a lingering question. God, thank you so much for your love and for your grace that you give us. Help us, God, as we sing now and as we pray now and as we think now. Um, God, just to be in line with your thoughts. Let our minds only go where you want to take them. Uh, Help us to give you the burdens that are on our lives continually. Um, Help us to bring our prayer needs to you, God, faithfully and humbly, realizing what you can do. God, help us to see what you're doing and not just expect you to do something. So, God, that we can, we can be positioned to receive what you do want for us. That we can grow in our maturity with you, God. Lord, and we can find the grace and the love that we need so badly. God, I thank you even today um, that you've shown me, God, that you can, you can align thoughts. And you can give clarity just to be able to speak your word when so many things in life... Um, seem to want to call to get our attention and get our get our hope away from us Lord, I, I just want to say thank you and I love you and I do know you love me I can I can I can tell in the name of Jesus we pray amen would you stand and sing this time we'll have this front area up front to pray if you'd like to pray or be prayed with